On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, the new commissioner of the XFL, Oliver Luck, who also just happens to be Andrew Luck's father and has an opinion on his son's status as well. And we'll be joined by Eric Grumman, the NFL's executive vice president of business operations, who's leaving the league after 14 years within the league offices. But first, Oliver Luck. Hey, Oliver, I appreciate taking some time. Thank you very much. No problem. Happy to do it. So I got to ask you this. There were rumors and speculation that you could be taking over, succeeding Mark Emmert one day as the head of the NCAA or the former athletic director of West Virginia. You helped bring the Texans to Houston. How does somebody with your credentials wind up as the commissioner and CEO of the XFL? Well, um, you know, I've, I've been I've been blessed to have, you know, I think lots of interesting, you know, positions. And uh, I was very happy doing what I was doing at the NCAA. Really enjoyed working for Mark Emmert. You know, I'm a, I think, you know, big sort of fan, you know, writ large of, mm-hmm. of college athletics and what it does for our universities and half a million young people that are participating and all of that. Uh, but this was, this was such a unique opportunity to really build something from scratch, you know, working with a guy like Vince who, you know, really is a, a visionary and, and has an incredible track record of, of success, certainly with, with WWE. And, you know, being able to do that, you know, there, I, I think it's just a, a very – football has its challenges, you know, of course, uh, from a health and safety perspective. But it's a, I think it's a really interesting time to do this. And I think at the end of the day, the, the opportunity was uh, special, and I wanted to take advantage of it. So here I am. You you brought up Vince, Vince McMahon, the CEO of the WWE. What was your prior experience and history with him? Did you know him at all? I had met Vince somewhere along the way in passing, you know, over the years, but didn't didn't know him very well at all. Uh, I spent a couple of uh, days with him over the past couple of months uh, because I needed to get to know him. I needed to better understand, you know, his motivation for. Uh, for launching, you know, the league, I needed to understand, you know, what he wanted to get out of it, how he views it, and you know, as, as we talked, I sort of started to realize that all the ingredients for a successful league uh, were present. Right? You've got you've got a, a visionary, you've got uh, somebody who's got a great track record, somebody who's willing to capitalize this league in a big, big way, and that's obviously you know important. You've got a time in terms of technology where, where things are changing rapidly, and I think there's some really neat and interesting opportunities for the XFL and, and, and tech. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I began to really think about it and said, wow, this, this might be uh, and, and can be and I think will be you know, uh, successful because you know, all the ingredients are, are, are right there. And that, that ultimately was, you know, was what uh, attracted me to it. As well, you know, Vince's sort of idea – of reimagining the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what does it mean to reimagine the game? So it's really thinking about the game uh, and removing, at least conceptually, all the constraints that exist on the game uh, in terms of, of, you know, broadcast agreements or commercial agreements uh, and, and figuring out is there a way uh, to, to modernize the game that would be attractive to fans, particularly younger fans, you know, sort of coming out of the college space, I'm very familiar with a lot of the complaints that, you know, athletic directors have about Gen Z 
uh, students, right, you know, that don't want to spend four hours at a, at a Saturday football game. But anyway, reimagining that game and then trying to figure out if we can't have a product that's really attractive, high-paced, a lot of action, you know, a lot of plays, you know, a lot of activity going on, uh, the highest health and safety standards, lots of entertainment, and do that at a very uh, family-friendly, affordable price point and, uh, you know, appropriate sort of entertainment behavior. I, I, think it's, I think it's doable, and I think there's a real opportunity for that. So uh, that's, that's one of the things that really attracted me to Vince. He's given this a lot of thought, uh, you know, a lot of sort of rigorous analysis, a lot of research that he has done, and, and really believes that the game can be reimagined. And that, and that includes, you know, how the game is, is produced and, and broadcast and, and distributed, right, given sort of the prevalence of digital versus linear in, in you know, today's world. That, there's some really interesting opportunities there. So all of that sort of wrapped up made this uh, really attractive to me. Oliver, how do you forego the income that some of these advertising opportunities would bring to the XFL and create a game where you don't have to take in that revenue? Well, you know, I've, that, it's, a, it's a very good question, and obviously we need to create a model that is friendly, you know, to commercial interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, other sports have done lots of different things. Look at soccer, right, particularly over in Europe or South America, you know, where the viewing numbers are massive, and that's a game that flows. It's not designed for, you know, for for the breaks that, that exist in, in the American sport structure. Uh, and they figured out some pretty clever ways to, uh, you know, be advertiser-friendly, you know, while keeping sort of the tradition of the game. So, um there's there, there's some things I think that are just really really interesting and it's uh, refreshing, quite honestly, to to you know to have a guy like Vince who's willing to think about those, willing to put you know a good bit of his money at stake to see if we can, you know, create that structure and implement it. And at the end of the day, of course, you know, make sure it's still very very high level football, which is what you know what fans want to see. You bring up health and safety too, Oliver. How do you go about health and safety? What is your approach to that with this league? Well, I'll say a couple of things. Number one, health and safety is absolutely paramount uh, in, in this era. I don't think, and I've said this to Vince, I said I don't think that the American public will you know, support a league that doesn't have the highest health and safety standards because it's just incredibly important, and it is at all levels, you know, professional, amateur, you name it. Uh, I don't think it's incompatible to have good, solid football, physical football. It's inherently a physical game, as we all know. But I don't think it's incompatible to have good, solid football and still have, uh, you know, lots of respect for the highest standards in terms of, uh, of protocols, whether it's, you know, brain trauma or, you know, whatever else, uh, you know, would, would, would come under that, uh, that category. So uh, we're committed to having the highest health and safety standards. We will put together a medical advisory panel. Lots of folks, including the NFL, have done, you know, really good work. I know the NCAA is working on a whole bunch of longitudinal studies in terms of brain health. So uh, we will implement, uh, you know, best practices to make sure that we're doing all we can to keep uh, the players as safe as they can possibly be, given that it is, as we all know, a you know, physical sport. Your league launches in 2020, Oliver, correct? Yes. How long before you believe the XFL takes hold in the public? Well, I'm not sure what, what takes hold or take hold means. Uh, I mean, clearly, 
uh, we won't have games until 2020. There'll be a significant ramp up, you know, runway uh, for for this league. I think that one of the one of the acknowledgments that Vince has made to me about things that they didn't do as well as they could have first time around was not having that singular focus on on quality of play. So you know, we're going to really be be like a laser focused on the quality of play and preparation. Make sure we're doing everything we possibly can to. When we come out of the shoot, you know, to be offering high quality football that fans want to see. Uh, but you know, I, I think uh, given given the uh, the popularity of the sport and the fact that uh, I think people are generally curious, you know, about and we're not a competitor to the National Football League. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the NFL is incredibly powerful. Some very talented, smart people run that league. Lots of them are friends of mine. You know, and uh, so in no way is this a competition to the NFL. But I think uh, certainly football fans, the diehards, the passionate fans, will follow uh, us a little bit as we, you know, as we build up. And then eventually, you know, we hope to reach, uh, you know, a nice sort of crescendo when we launch in, in uh, the spring of 2020. What about the failures of other secondary football leagues, Oliver, over the last years? Are those concerning to you? How do you avoid that and make this league different? Well, uh, I think there are great lessons, right, from, uh, from failures. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's, uh, that's, it's important to be very clear eyed and, and, and look at all of those leagues, including, for example, uh, NFL Europe League, which, you know, w- went on for 17 years and really try to determine what went well, what didn't go well. Take, take real hard lessons from that. I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's a sort of a, uh, an analysis that one can do on, on, on the, the former spring leagues and, and, and why uh, they didn't make it. You know, some, there were some bad decisions. I think, the USFL would, would fall into that category that were you know, going fairly strong. Remember myself as an oiler watching uh, gambler mm-hmm. games, you know, but they made a decision to, to move the schedule and that, uh, you know, that didn't work out well. So I think uh, we'll, we'll look at all those past leagues and really try to understand why. Uh, but, but I think with the, you know, the capitalization from Vince and, you know, with smart folks looking at, at, at previous leagues i think we'll we've got a, a model that that really is is good and sustainable for the long haul do, do people like and want football in the spring i think they do and the research that uh, we have you know indicates that that they do i mean listen there's 70 million football fans uh that self-identifies football fans in this country every survey i see you know about the popular sports it's nfl number one college football number two mm-hmm. So uh, my sense is that uh, there is uh, many, many folks, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of the millions who, who really would be excited about a, a high-quality, safe game, family-affordable in the spring. I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of that. You know, if, I, if I wasn't convinced of that, I probably wouldn't have taken this position. Oliver, hot-button issue. How will the XFL approach the national anthem issue? We have uh or will have all the respect in the world for you know, the individual freedoms of our players but we will require them and Vince has been on record as saying this we will require them to stand for the national anthem what are your thoughts on the way the nfl has handled their policy you know i'd rather not comment on on anybody else's policy we just think that's the right policy for our league okay. what do you hope people will be saying about the xfl 10 years from now uh, I hope they'll be saying about the XFL that uh, it, it's uh, it succeeded, surprisingly, maybe in some folks' mind, that it uh, offered a high-quality level of football, provided jobs for a whole bunch of folks 
you know, this was sort of very uh, an interesting entrepreneurial uh, uh, exercise that, that, that worked sort of in the great American spirit of, of entrepreneurs and, and, and business people, uh, that it was innovative, offered, again, good level of football, good entertainment, and was very family-friendly and, and affordable. <laughs> it was a way for folks uh, to really enjoy a, you know, a nice uh, afternoon or evening out uh, with with family, friends, and and uh, and you know was was fun. Was a, and they were proud. I guess that's probably the end of the end of the day. You'd like to see people say they were proud of their community having an XFL franchise. You know, Oliver, I mentioned some of your credentials before. I didn't mention the fact uh, that you are a Rhodes Scholarship finalist. That you have your law degree from the University of Texas at Austin School of Law, graduating cum laude in 1987. I didn't mention that you were CEO of the Harris County Houston Sports Authority, uh, athletic director at West Virginia, the president of NFL Europe and the GM of the league's Frankfurt Galaxy and Ryan Fire. In this long, distinguished career of yours, what has meant the most to you? Uh, well, the most, uh, I guess the best experiences I have, you know, uh, aren't necessarily connected to work. It's really all, for me, about family, my wife and, and our four kids. Uh, but I, I, I had uh, enormous fun, for example, when uh, in 1990, my wife and I, Kathy, went over to Frankfurt, right? Mm-hmm. And I was uh, named the general manager of, of that franchise. And uh, Andrew was, uh, I guess, about a year old, and, and two of our daughters were, were born over uh, just outside of Frankfurt in Wiesbaden. And that was a tremendous experience because I had no idea of, uh, you know, it's my first job in the sports business. I was in charge of a, of a franchise. And, you know, by the end of that inaugural season, Jack Elway was our head coach. Wow. And by the, by the end of that inaugural season, we had a, a home game against the Sacramento Surge. It was only the fifth game in the history of that franchise. And uh, we sold over 50,000 tickets. We had a fireworks celebration in one of the end zones that we actually had to uh, take apart <laughs> because we realized that uh, you know, the, the fire police folks said it wasn't safe given the size of the crowd because people were, you know, we were, we were selling tickets in that you know, right next to that fireworks section, and that was a tremendous success. And I really realized the you know the power of sport, right? So maybe a cliched phrase, but mm-hmm. sport does have an absolute power to bring people together and be an agent for uh for you know positive change right and uh that, that was just that was a lot of fun if i had to look back and you know pick out a moment or two that would probably be one another moment that uh, was a lot of fun for me was when we uh relocated the old san jose earthquakes down to houston and uh, launched the houston dynamo the mls franchise was the president of that club and uh, we ended up winning a couple of mls titles uh, with with that group, and that was great as well because you're, you're bringing a new sport, at least a, mm. a professional sport, uh, you know, to a, a great city like Houston, and uh, folks really rallied and responded. Now the franchise is one of the, you know, one of the solid ones in, in that league. So lot, lots of fond memories. But uh, this, I'm, I, I'm I'm hoping there'll be some fond memories uh, uh, about the XFL as well. You know, ten, eleven, twelve <laughs> years. From now. So how much time did your kids spend growing up in Europe? So we went over there in 1990, my wife and I, and uh, we came back at the beginning of 2000. So we were there for you know a decade, seven, wow. more or less seven years in Germany and three years in the UK. Our youngest son, uh, who's now a college sophomore, he's at Yale, just finished his sophomore year. He was born in London, two girls born in 
Germany, and then Andrew was born in D.C. Uh, before you know, before we went over to wait, Europe. Wait, so so Andrew went to Stanford. Your youngest son goes to Yale. Where did the two girls attend college? They both went to Stanford as well. Yeah, you, you need to step up the performance of those children a little bit. I mean, we, we, we've got to get some better academic achievement out of them, Oliver. Well, the youngest was funny when he uh, decided he wanted to go to Yale and got accepted. He said, Dad, I know you and Mom have been really disappointed that the other siblings didn't go to an Ivy League school. <laughs> and, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna remedy that. You know. So he gets to hold that over the two girls and Andrew as well, correct? That's right. That's right. Now, now you brought up Andrew last week. We had on Adam Vinatieri, who said this about your son: "Give me your best read on to whether or not we'll see him on opening day. If you had to guess, we'll see him. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not privy to any inside information right now. He's a tough guy. He looks great. He's He's got a great attitude. He's not a guy that looks like that he feels bad and goes, oh, you know, I don't know. I, he, I've got 100% confidence that he's going to be back and ready to go. He's going to have a great season. He he looks good. He, you know, everything about him right now tells me that he's going to be ready to go. He looks really good. I, I, would, I would guess that he'll be back. So what does Dad say? Uh, Dad would agree with former World League of American football kicker Adam Vinatieri. Yeah. By the way, he's the last guy uh, standing uh, from the old World League slash NFL Europe to be still playing. The only guy to be still playing. So, so we've got a lot of guys like World League and NFL Europe ties that are that are optimistic about Andrew's prognosis for the coming season. <laughs> That's right. No, I I, I think uh, Vinny is spot on. Oliver, we really appreciate you taking some time today. Thank you very much. Lots of luck with the XFL. And, again, thank you for the time today. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there's the new XFL commissioner, Oliver Luck. We'll be back in a moment with Eric Grumman, the NFL's executive vice president of business operations, who's stepping aside from his current job. Eric, you all ready for your podcasting debut? Yes, sir. <laughs> How you doing? How's everything going with you? Good. Yeah, good. My, I had a interesting Adam Schefter moment with uh, one of my sons. <laughs> I was with him this weekend, and he said, "Hey, I saw your thing, and I read that about Adam from Adam Schefter." And he said, "I remember meeting him. He was a pretty normal guy, <laughs> like one of your neighbors, Jim Kramer, like Kramer. Yeah, <laughs> he is how he is on TV. Correct. In real life, he's the same. <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah." He's got a mind for detail, which is really extraordinary. Did you work with him at Goldman Sachs? No, no. The way Jim and I got to know one another is he was a neighbor in Summit, yep. New Jersey. And we had kids, you know, not too far away uh, in age. Our kids didn't know one another, but we would see each other from time to time in Summit. And then it occurred to both of us at the same time that we would see one another at every charity event in Summit we would be at, and uh, eventually we became friendly. So so what's it like to wake up today, Eric, and know that you're 14 years at the end? Of, I don't know your official last date, but that your 14 years are coming to an end, at an end, over whatever tense we want to put it in. I didn't wake up one day and um, be on the other end of an announcement that I'm leaving the NFL. I thought about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, several years, in fact. And so the day after the announcement was not altogether different than the day before the announcement, 
with the exception of one dynamic, and that is um, I want to get on with my life is the, is the wrong way of saying it. I have a terrific life, and I've been blessed and had a lot of luck. Nonetheless, I'm interested in doing more and different things, and I couldn't really pursue those things while I still had a full-time job at the NFL and without people knowing that I was looking at things. It's just not me. I want, I want to have relative transparency with everyone, but absolute transparency um, with people that I work with. And that is a very important thing for me. So it was a continuum more than anything else. So what next for you now, Eric? Uh, that's a good question, Adam. I don't know the answer to. I have lots of things that I've looked at, lots of things I'm interested in. I have lots of people that I've um, talked to and I'm talking to now, but I haven't made any commitments. And frankly, no one has asked me. Nobody's put me on the spot and said, will you do X or will you do Y? And I think that's because many people didn't know I was really considering leaving mm-hmm. and the other part of it, they may not think I'm particularly um, good or qualified. <laughs> so we'll find that out. How much chaos was there in the NFL over the last 14 years? It has come and gone, as you know, only too well. You can't be um, on the receiving end of 180 million eyeballs in America and um, not be a lightning rod for things, some of which are good and some of which are bad. Mm-hmm. You know, people point at the NFL as to what we're doing wrong um, 90% of the time and only point 10% of the time at what we're doing right. But the reality is most people who watch the NFL love it. So we must be doing something right. The teams are doing something right. The players are doing something right. The coaches are doing something right. More like 90% of the time or 80% of the time, certainly more than half the time in the aggregate. Otherwise people wouldn't watch. So, you know, Adam, how many places can a person be lucky enough to work where the customers, in our case fans, are happy and passionate about the product? No, they're not happy when their team loses, but it brings them happiness. A lot of other things in the world they have to have, or they're told to have, or the government requires you to have. Um, very different when you're choosing to have something and that's what a fan is they're choosing to have the nfl in their lives and it's most of america and and increasingly a lot of people in the rest of the world and i you know i just count myself lucky to have had a job um for a period of time to been on that ride um for this many years you mentioned going from submarines in the navy to goldman sachs to constellation to the nfl what surprised you most about the league from the 14 years you spent within it? There are a couple things. I don't think that I would use the word surprised, but Mm -hmm. I'm really impressed and and deeply struck by a couple things. Bear in mind, I'm leaving. I don't have to say any of this. Um, When our employees are interacting with fans, most of them could care less about their paycheck in the context of the interaction with fans. Mm-hmm. They love it. They, they, when I talk to people about going on a, 
you know, a difficult trip, a daisy chain of flights to get from here to there to there to there during the season or, or two events, you know, you, you could be down about that, being away from home for two weeks or three weeks. People who, who work both the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl, you know, that can be four or five weeks away from their family straight. They are exhilarated. To be next to the game, next to the players, next to the fans is something they live for. And I've been in a lot of places, not just the ones I've worked. When I was at Goldman, I was around dozens, if not hundreds, of companies over my career. I can't think of another company where the employees literally loved being next to the customer, in this case, the fan. That's very impressive, and it has really struck me. Um, the professionalism of the senior executives in avoiding um, favoritism, if you will, for an owner who spends more time versus less time. Sure, different owners have different levels of influence. That's not because the senior executives give it to them or favor them. It's because they spend more time on it. And the executives, um, the vast, vast majority of the time that I observe them, were high-functioning, expert at their jobs, and did the best they can with a great amount of judgment and neutrality. That's a, that's a lot when you live in a company where everybody competes with one another. Um, something about the NFL generically, generically is probably the wrong word, maybe uniquely um, is a better word, it is one of the last great meritocracies on the planet. You win, you're in. And to work in an organization where that's the essence of what you're serving up to customers. Again, I use, I'm using customers not because I think of a customer and a fan interchangeably. It's because the NFL has customers, but they're really fans. And that fan, which, as you know, is short fanatic, means enthusiasm. Serving up that last great meritocracy is something that people love and it's disappearing what's disappearing true meritocracies oh yeah well there's a scoreboard in the sport right (laughs) and everything is derived from that during your 14 years there uh you made some fans in la i'm sure but probably some people not too thrilled with yours and the league's decisions in St. Louis and Oakland and San Diego. What do you say to those people? What I say to those people is um, probably very surprising to them. I think I feel just like they feel. I'm sorry, and I think it's sad, that the Rams aren't in St. Louis. I'm sorry, and I think it's sad, that the Chargers aren't in San Diego. And I'm sorry, and I think it's sad that the Raiders are going to leave Oakland. I'm happy for the fans that now are going to have either have a team or are about to have a team. And so I walk that tightrope, I along with other people, the owner that moves it, the owners that vote it, the commissioner that presides over it, I walk that tightrope. Um, I don't want anybody to lose their team nor do I want any team to play in an environment where ultimately they can't compete. And if you can't produce the financial results 
that you need to to keep pace, then you won't be able to compete. So there's a there's a Darwinian aspect to it that's um, very unfortunate for those that are on the losing end. Um, I can't change that. If I had never worked at the NFL, one or more of those teams still would have left their cities. So all I can do is the best work in the interim to try to prevent a team from leaving, which means work with the local communities to try to come up with a solution that works um, and then be transparent along the way so that no one can say that they didn't see it coming. Are there any more we could see coming or do we think that's it? Are there any franchises that you could see now that you're leaving the league getting to the day where there's this potential situation involving that particular team that if it doesn't work out the way that the league wants could result in another move like this? Well, first of all, Adam, it's not that the league executives or the commissioner are sitting there plotting at 345 Park Avenue Mm -hmm. to move a team. That's not what happens. An owner decides they might want to or might need to move a team. That's how it starts. It's not somebody plotting in the league. The league is not geared that way. The league doesn't tell owners what to do. There are policies that are voted by the owners, and the league has to enforce those policies. And there, But the bulk of the work that the league office does is the administration of the game and the rules and so forth and so on to provide for the fans and then negotiate the licenses that come out of that. So any owner that you see has the aptitude, the potential to one day be in a situation where this is going to be an issue? <laughs> there, there's Adam Schefter saying, get back to the point, Ruben. Um, <laughs> so, okay, the way I'm going to answer the question is this. I don't care to speculate on whether a particular owner um, has that in their mind. Frankly, it really would be speculation. No owner has said to me, I'm moving. Um, I've said before, I'll say again, there's a couple of factors that have to be present to provide the conditions that mean it could be ripe for a move. You have to have... Um, an, an aging stadium with um, infrastructure and fan amenities that um, have not been main, maintained up to par and a relatively short lease. If you have those three things going on at the same time, then you have to conclude that an, that an owner would think about their alternatives. If they don't, they're not doing right by their team and by their fans. Team's got to be competitive. Now, it may be a move across town or out of town into the suburbs or from the suburbs into town, but it also could be cross country. So, if those three elements are present, then the owner needs to work on improving those three elements, as does the local community. That's not an appeal from Eric Rubman to throw a huge amount of public dollars at an owner. There are lots of things that can be done in the interim to prevent it from getting to that point. You're leaving. And in the last few months, Don Hudson from the NFL office has left. Todd Lewicki has left. Uh, Joe Lockhart has left. A bunch of executives. Is, is there anything that should be drawn from the fact that so many people are leaving? I know you, yourself, are walking away from the position. But there seem to be a lot of executives all of a sudden in recent weeks leaving the NFL. What are we to make of that? 
I don't think you should draw too much of a conclusion about it one way or another. People leave for different reasons, and each of those people probably has a different reason from one another for leaving. Um, good organizations that are well, well run, I think, I, you know, I, I use the, 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 the lake example. Um, and I used to talk to people about this. I remember when I was at Goldman Sachs and somebody significant seemed like they might leave. Take a rock, throw it in the water. There's a splash. After a while, ripples hit the beach, and the lake is still again, or the pond. Take a boulder and throw it in the water. Same amount of time will take for the ripples to hit the beach, and the lake will calm down. A big, well-run organization is like that. Anybody or anybody's can leave. If the structure is good and the product is good and the principles are good, it'll be fine. That doesn't mean there's not disruption. That doesn't mean that people aren't missed. I hope that I'm missed. I hope that people care that I was there. And if they care that I was there, then they'll care that I'm leaving. But the organization will be fine. And I think that's the same whether it's a junior financial analyst that leaves or Eric Rubman leaves or anybody else leaves. If the game is good, if the underlying principles are good, the organization will be fine. Eric, as you walk away now, and it all wraps up, what are you most proud of and what will be your greatest memories of working with the league? I'm most proud of the people and the programs that um, I either brought into the league or mentored or worked with and watched them grow and thrive, and, and in some cases I helped get people promoted into running the departments I used to uh, run, so essentially I've replaced myself. Um, the junior rotational program, which um, I had a hand in creating and administering for a number of years, has produced a pipeline of young people who have a chance to get a terrific rotational experience, and some of them have stayed on and done really terrific things those are you know that's that's two examples of the things that i'm very proud of i'm proud that an owner uh, came up to me not um at the last meeting i think it was the prior one the march meeting and and stopped me and said you know thank you for the it was a presentation i gave and said thank you i just want to tell you how much um we trust your comments and your judgments it was a sensitive subject so there were some interesting questions and um, he said the owners really trust you when you um, give presentations or ask questions and answer them. And um, I'm sure that's not 100% of the owners, but it must be a majority. Of that that made me very proud. You know, what are the signature moments that I remember? <laughs> it's core. I'm a fan. So I won't talk about whether my team won or not. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to do that even now. Maybe maybe on next year's podcast. But <laughs> what are the th- what are the things that I remember? I remember the how hard we worked, and then that horrible feeling when the seats weren't ready at the Dallas Super Bowl. Oh yeah, oh. I, I remember that like it was yesterday, and um, I feel for those fans and every one of them who called me or emailed me. Everyone. 100% of the ones who contacted me, I contacted them back. And if they wanted to talk, I talked to them. And some of them I'm still talking to. I remember having a hand in turning the lights back on at the Super Bowl in New Orleans, <laughs> where I had to uh, lean back on my um, 
formative experience as uh, the electrical officer on a submarine. (laughs) 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 When my uh, sons quit, well, with Dad, at least you know how to flip a light switch. That's good. Um, I think that was an Army versus Navy question thing. You know, if you'd been in the Army, you couldn't do that. But anyway, (laughs) um, uh, so, you know, those are two examples. They may seem trite, but... That's why I say I'm like a fan. I remember the exhilarating moments that have to do with the game that are either glorious because we won or awful, agonizing because we lost. Um, And those two are good examples of one where we won and the other where we didn't. I'm not talking about in a legal sense. I'm talking about, you know, winning means getting the ball over the goal line and having more points on the board. It doesn't mean trying. And so I know how hard we tried in Dallas, but we didn't get it done. And um, I mean the royal we, everybody who was involved. And, um, but we did get it done when the lights were off. And, well. and between those two things, there are a lot of moments I can recount that I'll remember forever, and many of them fondly, and some of them agonized. They were agonizing, but I don't want to bore your, your fans by going through one after another after another. <laughs> Well, Eric, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I thank you and congratulate you on a great run at the NFL, and I wish you the very best in the next line of work, whatever that happens to be. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate your time. A very special thank you to the new XFL commissioner, Oliver Luck, and to Eric Grumman, the NFL's executive vice president of business operations, who's walking away from his job. And a special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Adam Schefter podcast. Thanks for listening today, everybody.